Book Eighth, Chapter Three of the Ambassadors by Henry James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. As the door of Mrs. Pocock's salon was pushed open for him the next day, well before noon, he was reached by a voice with a charming sound that made him just falter before crossing the threshold. Madame de Vionnet was already on the field, and this gave the drama a quicker pace than he felt it as yet, though his suspense had increased, in the power of any act of his own to do. He had spent the previous evening with all his old friends together, yet he would still have described himself as quite in the dark in respect to a forecast of their influence on his situation. It was strange now, none the less, that in the light of this unexpected note of her presence, he felt Madame de Vionnet a part of that situation as she hadn't even yet been. She was alone, he found himself assuming, with Sarah, and there was a bearing in that, somehow beyond his control, on his personal fate. Yet she was only saying something quite easy and independent, the thing she had come, as a good friend of Chad's, on purpose to say. "'There isn't anything at all? I should be so delighted.' It was clear enough, when they were there before him, how she had been received. He saw this, as Sarah got up to greet him, from something fairly hectic in Sarah's face. He saw furthermore that they weren't, as had first come to him, alone altogether. He was at no loss as to the identity of the broad, high back presented to him in the embrasure of the window furthest from the door. Waymarsh, whom he had to-day not yet seen, whom he only knew to have left the hotel before him, and who had taken part the night previous on Mrs. Pocock's kind invitation, conveyed by Chad, in the entertainment, informal but cordial, promptly offered by that lady, Waymarsh had anticipated him even as Madame de Vionnet had done, and with his hands in his pockets, and his attitude unaffected by Strether's entrance, was looking out, in marked detachment, at the Rue de Rivoli. The latter felt it in the air. It was immense how Waymarsh could mark things, that he had remained deeply dissociated from the overture to their hostess that we have recorded on Madame de Vionnet's side. He had conspicuously tact, besides a stiff general view, and this was why he had left Mrs. Pocock to struggle alone. He would outstay the visitor, he would unmistakably wait. To what had he been doomed for months past but waiting? Therefore she was to feel that she had him in reserve. What support she drew from this was still to be seen, for although Sarah was vividly bright, she had given herself up for the moment to an ambiguous flushed formalism. She had had to reckon more quickly than she expected, but it concerned her first of all to signify that she was not to be taken unawares. Strether arrived precisely in time for her showing it. "'Oh, you're too good. But I don't think I feel quite helpless. I have my brother, and these American friends. And then you know I've been to Paris. I know Paris,' said Sally Pocock, in a tone that breathed a certain chill on Strether's heart. "'Ah, but a woman in this tiresome place, where everything's always changing, a woman of good will,' Madame de Vionnet threw off, "'can always help a woman. I'm sure you know, but we know perhaps different things.' She, too, visibly, wished to make no mistake, but it was a fear of a different order and more kept out of sight. She smiled and welcomed at Strether, she greeted him more familiarly than Mrs. Pocock, she put out her hand to him without moving from her place, 
and it came to him in the course of a minute and in the oddest way that, yes, positively, she was giving him over to ruin. She was all kindness and ease, but she couldn't help so giving him. She was exquisite, and her being just as she was poured for Sarah a sudden rush of meaning into his own equivocations. How could she know how she was hurting him? She wanted to show as simple and humble, in the degree compatible with operative charm, but it was just this that seemed to put him on her side. She struck him as dressed, as arranged, as prepared infinitely to conciliate, with the very poetry of good taste in her view of the conditions of her early call. She was ready to advise about dressmakers and shops. She held herself wholly at the disposition of Chad's family. Strether noticed her card on the table, her coronet and her comtesse, and the imagination was sharp in him of certain private adjustments in Sarah's mind. She had never, he was sure, sat with the comtesse before, and such was the specimen of that class he had been keeping to play on her. She had crossed the sea very particularly for a look at her, but he read in Madame de Vionnet's own eyes that this curiosity hadn't been so successfully met as that she herself would now have more than ever need of him. She looked much as she had looked to him that morning at Notre-Dame. He noted, in fact, the suggestive sameness of her discreet and delicate dress. It seemed to speak, perhaps a little prematurely or too finely, of the sense which she would help Mrs. Pocock with the shops. The way that lady took her in, moreover, added depth to his impression of what Miss Gostrey, by their common wisdom, had escaped. He winced as he saw himself, but for that timely prudence, ushering in Mariah as a guide and an example. There was, however, a touch of relief for him, in his glimpse, so far as he had got it, of Sarah's line. She knew Paris. Madame de Vionnet had, for that matter, lightly taken this up. Ah, then you've a turn for that, an affinity that belongs to your family. Your brother, though his long experience makes a difference, I admit, has become one of us in a marvellous way and she appealed to Strether in the manner of a woman who could always glide off with smoothness into another subject. Wasn't he struck with the way Mr. Newsome had made the place his own, and hadn't he been in position to profit by his friend's wondrous expertness? Strether felt the bravery, at least, of her presenting herself so promptly to sound that note, and yet asked himself what other note, after all, she could strike from the moment she presented herself at all. She could meet Mrs. Pocock only on the ground of the obvious, and what feature of Chad's situation was more eminent than the fact that he had created for himself a new set of circumstances? Unless she hid herself altogether, she could show but as one of these, an illustration of his domiciled and indeed of his confirmed condition. And the consciousness of all this, in her charming eyes, was so clear and fine that as she publicly drew him into her boat, she produced in him such a silent agitation as he was not to fail afterwards to denounce as pusillanimous. Ah, don't be so charming to me, for it makes us intimate, and after all what is between us when I've been so tremendously on my guard, and have seen you but half a dozen times. He recognized once more the perverse law that so inveterately governed his poor personal aspects. It would be exactly like the way things always turned out for him, 
that he should affect Mrs. Pocock and Waymarsh as launched in a relation in which he had really never been launched at all. They were at this very moment, they could only be, attributing to him the full license of it, and all by the operation of her own tone with him, whereas his sole license had been to cling with intensity to the brink, not to dip so much as a toe into the flood. But the flicker of his fear on this occasion was not, as may be added, to repeat itself. It sprang up for its moment only to die down, and then go out for ever. To meet his fellow visitor's invocation, and, with Sarah's brilliant eyes on him, answer, was quite sufficiently to step into her boat. During the rest of the time her visit lasted, he felt himself proceed to each of the proper offices, successively, for helping to keep the adventurous skiff afloat. It rocked beneath him, but he settled himself in his place, he took up an oar, and since he was to have the credit of pulling, pulled. "'That will make it all the pleasanter if it so happens that we do meet,' Madame de Vionnet had further observed, in reference to Mrs. Pocock's mention of her initiated state. And she had immediately added that, after all, her hostess couldn't be in need with the good offices of Mr. Strether so close at hand. It's he, I gather, who has learnt to know his Paris and to love it, better than any one ever before in so short a time so that between him and your brother, when it comes to the point, how can you possibly want for good guidance? The great thing, Mr. Strether will show you, she smiled, is just to let oneself go. Oh, I've not let myself go very far, Strether answered, feeling quite as if he had been called upon to hint to Mrs. Pocock how Parisians could talk. I'm only afraid of showing I haven't let myself go far enough. I've taken a good deal of time, but I must quite have had the air of not budging from one spot." He looked at Sarah in a manner that he thought she might take as engaging, and he made, under Madame de Vionnet's protection, as it were, his first personal point. What has really happened has been that all the while I've done what I came out for. Yet it only at first gave Madame de Vionnet a chance immediately to take him up. You've renewed acquaintance with your friend, you've learned to know him again. She spoke with such cheerful helpfulness that they might, in a common cause, have been calling together and pledged to mutual aid. Waymarsh, at this, as if he had been in question, straightway turned from the window. Oh, yes, Countess, he has renewed acquaintance with me, and he has, I guess, learned something about me, though I don't know how much he has liked it. It's for Strether himself to say whether he has felt it justifies his course. "'Oh, but you,' said the Countess gaily, "'are not in the least what he came out for. Is he really, Strether? And I hadn't you at all in my mind. I was thinking of Mr. Newsome, of whom we think so much, and with whom, precisely, Mrs. Pocock has given herself the opportunity to take up threads. What a pleasure for you both,' Madame de Vionnet, with her eyes on Sarah, bravely continued. Mrs. Pocock met her handsomely. But Strether quickly saw she meant to accept no version of her movements or plans from any other lips. She required no patronage and no support, which were but other names for a false position. She would show in her own way what she chose to show, and this she expressed with a dry glitter that recalled to him a fine woollet winter morning. "'I've never wanted for opportunities to see my brother.' We've many things to think of at home, and great responsibilities and occupations, and our home's not an impossible place. We've plenty of reasons. 
Sarah continued a little piercingly, for everything we do. And in short, she wouldn't give herself the least little scrap away. But she added, as one who was always bland, and who could afford a concession, I've come because, well, because we do come. Ah, then fortunately, Madame de Vionnet breathed it to the air. Five minutes later they were on their feet for her to take leave, standing together in an affability that had succeeded in surviving a further exchange of remarks, only with the emphasized appearance on Waymarsh's part of a tendency to revert, in a ruminating manner, and as with an instinctive or a precautionary lightening of his tread, to an open window and his point of vantage. The glazed and gilded room, all red damask, ormolu, mirrors, clocks, looked south, and the shutters were bowed upon the summer morning, but the Tuileries garden, and what was beyond it, over which the whole place hung, were things visible through gaps, so that the far-spreading presence of Paris came up in coolness, dimness, and invitation, in the twinkle of gilt-tipped palings, the crunch of gravel, the click of hoofs, the crack of whips, things that suggested some parade of the circus. "'I think it's probable,' said Mrs. Pocock, "'that I shall have the opportunity of going to my brother's. I've no doubt it's very pleasant indeed.' She spoke as to Strether but her face was turned with an intensity of brightness to Madame de Vionnet, and there was a moment during which, while she thus fronted her, our friend expected to hear her add, I'm much obliged to you, I'm sure, for inviting me there. He guessed that for five seconds those words were on the point of coming. He heard them as clearly as if they had been spoken, but then he presently knew that they had just failed. Knew it by a glance, quick and fine, from Madame de Vionnet, which told him that she, too, had felt them in the air, but that the point had luckily not been made in any manner requiring notice. This left her free to reply only to what had been said. "'That the boulevard Malheur may be common ground for us offers me the best prospect I see for the pleasure of meeting you again.' "'Oh, I shall come to see you, since you've been so good,' and Mrs. Pocock looked her invader well in the eyes. The flush in Sarah's cheeks had by this time settled to a small, definite, crimson spot that was not without its own bravery. She held her head a good deal up, and it came to Strether that of the two, at this moment, she was the one who most carried out the idea of a countess. He quite took in, however, that she would really return her visitor's civility. She wouldn't report again at Woollett without at least so much producible history as that in her pocket. I want extremely to be able to show you my little daughter, Madame de Vionnet went on, and I should have brought her with me if I hadn't wished first to ask your leave. I was in hopes I should perhaps find Miss Pocock, of whose being with you I've heard from Mr. Newsome, and whose acquaintance I should so much like my child to make. If I have the pleasure of seeing her, and you do permit it, I shall venture to ask her to be kind to Jeanne. Mr. Strether will tell you, she beautifully kept it up, that my poor girl is gentle and good and rather lonely. They've made friends, he and she, ever so happily, and he doesn't, I believe, think ill of her. As for Jeanne herself, he has had the same success with her that I know he has had here wherever he has turned." She seemed to ask him for permission to say these things, or seemed rather to take it, softly and happily, with the ease of intimacy, for granted, and he had quite the consciousness now 
that not to meet her at any point more than halfway would be odiously, basely to abandon her. Yes, he was with her, and, opposed even in this covert, this semi-safe fashion to those who were not, he felt strangely and confusedly, but excitedly, inspiringly, how much and how far. It was as if he had positively waited in suspense for something from her that would let him in deeper, so that he might show her how he could take it. And what did, in fact, come as she drew out a little her farewell, served sufficiently the purpose. As his success is a matter that I'm sure he'll never mention for himself, I feel, you see, the less scruple, which it's very good of me to say, you know, by the way, she added as she addressed herself to him, considering how little direct advantage I've gained from your triumphs with me. When does one ever see you? I wait at home, and I languish. You'll have rendered me the service, Mrs. Pocock, at least, she wound up, of giving me one of my much too rare glimpses of this gentleman. I certainly should be sorry to deprive you of anything that seems so much, as you describe it, your natural due. Mr. Strether and I are very old friends, Sarah allowed, but the privilege of his society isn't a thing I shall quarrel about with any one. And yet, dear Sarah, he freely broke in, I feel, when I hear you say that, that you don't quite do justice to the important truth of the extent to which, as you're also mine, I'm your natural due. I should like much better, he laughed, to see you fight for me. She met him, Mrs. Pocock, on this, with an arrest of speech, with a certain breathlessness, as he immediately fancied, on the score of a freedom for which she wasn't quite prepared. It had flared up, for all the harm he had intended by it, because, confoundedly, he didn't want any more to be afraid about her than he wanted to be afraid about Madame de Vionnet. He had never, naturally, called her anything but Sarah at home, and though he had perhaps never quite so markedly invoked her as his dear, that was somehow partly because no occasion had hitherto laid so effective a trap for it. But something admonished him now that it was too late, unless indeed it were possibly too early, and that he at any rate shouldn't have pleased Mrs. Pocock the more by it. "'Well, Mr. Strether,' she murmured with vagueness, yet with sharpness, while her crimson spot burned a trifle brighter, and he was aware that this must be for the present the limit of her response. Madame de Vionnet had already, however, come to his aid, and Waymarsh, as if for further participation, moved again back to them. It was true that the aid rendered by Madame de Vionnet was questionable. It was a sign that, for all one might confess to with her, and for all she might complain of not enjoying, she could still insidiously show how much of the material of conversation had accumulated between them. The real truth is, you know, that you sacrifice one without mercy to dear old Maria. She leaves no room in your life for anybody else. Do you know, she inquired of Mrs. Pocock, about dear old Maria? The worst is that Miss Gostrey is really a wonderful woman. Oh, yes, indeed, Strether answered for her. Mrs. Pocock knows about Miss Gostrey. Your mother, Sarah, must have told you about her. Your mother knows everything, he sturdily pursued. And I cordially admit, he added, with his conscious gaiety of courage, that she's as wonderful a woman as you like. Ah, uh, it isn't I who like, dear Mr. Strether, anything to do with the matter, Sarah Pocock promptly protested, and I by no means sure I have, from my mother or any one else, a notion of whom you're talking about. 
"'Well, he won't let you see her, you know,' Madame de Vionnet sympathetically threw in. "'He never lets me, old friends as we are, I mean as I am with Maria. He reserves her for his best hours, keeps her consummately to himself, only gives us others the crumbs of the feast.' "'Well, Countess, I've had some of the crumbs,' Waymarsh observed, with weight and covering her with his large look, which led her to break in before he could go on. "'Comment donc? He shares her with you?' she exclaimed in droll stupefaction. "'Take care you don't have, before you go much further, rather more of all ces dames, than you may know what to do with.' But he only continued in his massive way. I can post you about the lady, Mrs. Pocock, so far as you may care to hear. I've seen her quite a number of times, and I was practically present when they made acquaintance. I've kept my eye on her right along, but I don't know as there's any real harm in that." Harm? Madame de Vionnet quickly echoed. Why, she's the dearest and cleverest of all the clever and dear. Well, you run her pretty close, Countess, Waymarsh returned with spirit though there's no doubt she's pretty well up in things. She knows her way round Europe. Above all, there's no doubt she does love Strether. Ah, but we all do that. We all love Strether. It isn't a merit, their fellow visitor laughed, keeping to her idea with a good conscience, at which our friend was aware that he marvelled, though he trusted also for it, as he met her exquisitely expressive eyes, to some later light. The prime effect of her tone, however, and it was a truth which his own eyes gave back to her in sad, ironic play, could only be to make him feel that, to say such things to a man in public, a woman must practically think of him as ninety years old. He had turned awkwardly, responsively, red, he knew, at her mention of Maria Gostrey. Sarah Pocock's presence, the particular quality of it, had made this inevitable, and then he had grown still redder in proportion as he hated to have shown anything at all. He felt, indeed, that he was showing much, as, uncomfortably and almost in pain, he offered up his redness to Waymarsh, who strangely enough seemed now to be looking at him with a certain explanatory yearning. Something deep, something built on their old, old relation, passed in this complexity between them. He got the side-wind of loyalty that stood behind all actual queer questions. Waymarsh's dry, bare humour, as it gave itself to be taken, gloomed out to demand justice. Well, if you talk of Miss Barras, I've my chance, too, it appeared stiffly to nod, and it granted that it was giving him away, but struggled to add that it did so only to save him. The sombre glow stared it at him till it fairly sounded out, To save you, poor old man, to save you, to save you in spite of yourself. Yet it was somehow just this communication that showed him to himself as more than ever lost. Still another result of it was to put before him, as never yet, that between his comrade and the interest represented by Sarah there was already a basis. Beyond all question now, yes, Waymarsh had been in occult relation with Mrs. Newsome. Out, out it all came, in the very effort of his face. Yes, you're feeling my hand he as good as proclaimed it, but only because this at least I shall have got out of the damned old world, that I shall have picked up the pieces into which it has caused you to crumble. It was as if, in short, after an instant, Strether had not only had it from him, but had recognised that so far as this went, the instant had cleared the air. 
Our friend understood and approved. He had the sense that they wouldn't otherwise speak of it. This would be all, and it would mark in himself a kind of intelligent generosity. It was with grim Sarah then, Sarah grim for all her grace, that Waymarsh had begun at ten o'clock in the morning to save him. Well, if he could, poor dear man, with his big bleak kindness, the upshot of which crowded perception was that Strether, on his own side, still showed no more than he absolutely had to. He showed the least possible by saying to Mrs. Pocock, after an interval much briefer than our glance at the picture reflected in him, "'Oh, it's as true as they please. There's no Miss Gostrey for any one but me, not the least little peep. I keep her to myself.' "'Well, it's very good of you to notify me,' Sarah replied, without looking at him, and thrown for a moment by this discrimination, as the direction of her eyes showed upon a dimly desperate little community with Madame de Vionnet. But I hope I shan't miss her too much. Madame de Vionnet instantly rallied. And you know, though it might occur to one, it isn't in the least that he's ashamed of her. She's really, in a way, extremely good-looking. Ah, but extremely, Strether laughed, while he wondered at the odd part he found thus imposed on him. It continued to be so by every touch from Madame de Vionnet. Well, as I say, you know, I wish you would keep me a little more to yourself. Couldn't you name some day for me, some hour, and better soon than late? I'll be at home whenever it best suits you. There, I can't say fairer. Strether thought a moment while Waymarsh and Mrs. Pocock affected him as standing attentive. I did lately call on you, last week while Chad was out of town. Yes, and I was away, as it happened, too. You choose your moments well. But don't wait for my next absence, for I shan't make another, Madame de Vionnet declared, while Mrs. Pocock's here. That vow needn't keep you long, fortunately, Sarah observed, with reasserted suavity. I shall be at present but a short time in Paris. I have my plans for other countries. I meet a number of charming friends, and her voice seemed to caress that description of these persons. Ah, then, her visitor cheerfully replied, all the more reason. Tomorrow, for instance, or the next day, she continued to Strether, Tuesday would do for me beautifully. Tuesday, then, with pleasure. And at half-past five, or at six? It was ridiculous, but Mrs. Pocock and Waymarsh struck him as fairly waiting for his answer. It was indeed as if they were arranged, gathered for a performance, the performance of Europe, by his confederate and himself. Well, the performance could only go on. Say, 5.45. 5.45, good. And now at last Madame de Vionnet must leave them, though it carried for herself the performance a little further. I did hope so much also to see Miss Pocock. Mayn't I still? Sarah hesitated, but she rose equal. She'll return your visit with me. She's at present out with Mr. Pocock and my brother. I see, of course, Mr. Newsome has everything to show them. He has told me so much about her. My great desire is to give my daughter the opportunity of making her acquaintance. I'm always on the lookout for such chances for her. If I didn't bring her to-day, it was only to make sure first that you'd let me. After which the charming woman risked a more intense appeal. It wouldn't suit you also to mention some near time, so that we shall be sure not to lose you? Strether, on his side, waited, for Sarah, likewise, had, after all, to perform. 
and it occupied him to have been thus reminded that she had stayed at home and on her first morning of paris while chad led the others forth oh she was up to her eyes if she had stayed at home she had stayed by an understanding arrived at the evening before that waymarsh would come and find her alone this was beginning well for a first day in paris and the thing might be amusing yet but madame de vionnet's earnestness was meanwhile beautiful you may think me indiscreet but i've such a desire my jeanne shall know an american girl of the really delightful kind you see i throw myself for it on your charity the manner of this speech gave strether such a sense of depths below it and behind it as he hadn't yet had ministered in a way that almost frightened him to his dim divinations of reasons but if sarah still in spite of it faltered this was why he had time for a sign of sympathy with her petitioner let me say then dear lady to back your plea that miss mamie is of the most delightful kind of all is charming among the charming even waymarsh though with more to produce on the subject could get into motion in time yes countess the american girl's a thing that your country must at least allow ours the privilege to say we can show you but her full beauty is only for those who know how to make use of her ah then smiled madame de vionnet that's exactly what i want to do i'm sure she has much to teach us it was wonderful but what was scarce less so was that strether found himself by the quick effect of it moved another way oh that may be but don't speak of your own exquisite daughter you know as if she weren't pure perfection i at least won't take that from you mademoiselle de vionnet he explained with considerable form to mrs pocock is pure perfection mademoiselle de vionnet is exquisite it had been perhaps a little portentous but ah sarah simply glittered waymarsh himself for that matter apparently recognized in respect to the facts the need of a larger justice and he had with it an inclination to sarah miss jane strikingly handsome in the regular french style it somehow made both strether and madame de vionnet laugh out though at the very moment he caught in sarah's eyes as glancing at the speaker a vague but unmistakable you too it made waymarsh in fact look consciously over her head madame de vionnet meanwhile however made her point in her own way i wish indeed i could offer you my poor child as a dazzling attraction it would make one's position simple enough she's as good as she can be but of course she's different and the question is now in the light of the way things seem to go if she isn't after all too different too different i mean from the splendid type every one is so agreed that your wonderful country produces on the other hand of course mr newsome who knows it so well has as a good friend dear kind man that he is done everything he can to keep us from fatal benightedness for my small shy creature well she wound up after mrs pocock had signified in a murmur still a little stiff that she would speak to her own young charge on the question well we shall sit my child and i and wait and wait and wait for you but her last fine turn was for strether do speak of us in such a way as that something can't but come of it oh something shall come of it i take a great interest he further declared and in proof of it the next moment 
he had gone with her down to her carriage. End of Book Eighth, Chapter Three